Okay, Mike, so you remember this song? Everybody get up. Yeah, that's Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke. Uh, I think that was actually a collaboration between Thicke, Pharrell, and is it T.I.? Yeah, 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 that's it. So what if I told you that it has probably done more to reshape the discussion about music and copyright in the 21st century than any other song? I don't think I would believe that, but <laughs> you can tell me that. That's fine. Well, you should. You should believe me because... <laughs> Before you throw it into who sampled, there is not even a single sample on the song. Wait a minute. Okay. So is this like a uh, ice, ice baby type situation? <laughs> ding, 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 That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding, 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 That little bitty change. Yep. Just like that ting didn't hold up in court. You've got it. Blurred Lines was sued by, well, hold up. I don't want to go too deep before we even roll the intro, but I'll give you the answer at the top of the show. The topic that I want to dive into this week is how the music industry's troubled history with kind of their punitive stances against sampling and how it connects to how companies are approaching valuing the data generative AI companies are scrambling to get their hands on. Like OpenAI's recent deal with the AP to license all of their historical written works. Exactly, exactly. And all of this data, it's effectively being remixed in there, right? So things, they're gonna go down here very soon. So that we're prepared, I wanna take a trip through the history of the music industry and sampling and no, no, don't worry, it's not going to be boring. <laughs> All right, then. Well, I, for one, want to know what happened with that Robin Thicke track. So I guess let's get on with this intro so we can find out right after. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. And first... A quick word from our sponsors. As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play. Rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers. And 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. 
This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is and save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Okay, so Blurred Lines, this track is said to have created huge personal problems in Thick's life. It cost him and Pharrell millions of dollars in damages, all because they copied the feel and sound of this song. That's Marvin Gaye's Got to Give It Up, which is, of course, a classic. Yes, the extensive musical borrowing from this bass-driven, chatter-filled recording became a significant problem for the recording industry overall, resulting in a lawsuit and a victory for Marvin Gaye's estate. In today's music landscape, it's really become a common practice for pop songs to proactively give credit to artists whenever they seem to be borrowing maybe a little bit too much from another source. Now, interestingly, this trend has actually pushed some prominent artists to strike deals with publishing companies, much like the OpenAI and AP deal. With artificial intelligence now entering the picture, we're pretty much entering this new phase of the debate. So let's delve into why sampling sparked this legal conflict in the first place. To truly grasp why Marvin Gaye's estate was able to create such a stir in modern songwriting, we need to rewind all the way back to the era of player pianos. Way before Spotify, stereos, or even radio, player pianos posed a threat to composers' livelihoods and their rights. Before 1880, Americans who wanted to listen to music at home had one choice. They could just play it themselves. This changed when a hot new technology arrived, the player piano. 
player pianos were pretty much miraculous in their ability to play popular songs and old standards alike while people sang along, danced, or just enjoyed the sounds. But with a lot of newfangled machines, not everybody loved the player piano. That's right, and this should probably sound familiar, but the technology deeply troubled composers such as the famed John Philip Sousa. Sousa worried that pianos would kill the public's demand for sheet music, and copyright royalties from the sale of that sheet music were what paid his and other composers' bills. To make matters worse, the player piano companies refused to pay royalties for the songs they put onto piano rolls. These kind of scrolls of paper with holes punched out of it, I think many of us have seen them. The reason that they gave was people couldn't actually read the rolls. They only spoke to machines. And on that ground, the player piano companies argued that rolls did not copy songs. And so they could be manufactured and distributed without the need to pay royalties. Now, many would believe that this was a pretty bad argument. I mean, (laughs) sheet music and player piano rolls, they both copy the songs. They just use different languages. What matters is what comes out when the language is translated. And for both, the answer is the same, music. So the issue wasn't terribly difficult, but apparently it was complicated enough to fool the Supreme Court. In a 1908 case called White Smith Music Publishing Co. versus Apollo Co., the Supreme Court sided with the player piano companies. The court said that because humans couldn't read player piano roles, they were not, in fact, copies. And as a result, composers like Sousa couldn't demand any royalties from these sales. But here is where it gets interesting. The actual result in the Whitesmith publishing lasted but a year before it was overturned by Congress. The Copyright Act of 1909 extended the law to cover all mechanical reproductions of songs, whether it's read by people or machines. At the same time, however, Congress did a very important thing. It mandated that all songs would be subject to what lawyers called a compulsory license. This meant that any musician could copy another song without asking for permission so long as they paid a low standardized fee to the songwriter. So on one hand, Congress overthrew the argument that player piano rolls were not songs. But on the other, Congress set everyone free to copy just so long as a small fee was paid. So why did Congress create this kind of unusual system of legal copying? Because it was afraid of one company, Aeolian. That firm is long gone, but in the early part of the 20th century, Congress viewed Aeolian as something like a Microsoft or a Google of the nascent player piano market. Anticipating that Congress would overturn Whitesmith Publishing, Aeolian swiftly bought up song rights from musicians and publishing companies so it could copy them onto player piano rolls. Aeolian's weaker competitors complained to Congress about this attempt to corner the music market. So to keep Aeolian Co. from having a monopoly on the then-crucial player piano market, Congress allowed anyone to make a mechanical reproduction of someone else's song. And that doesn't just mean that Aeolian's competitors can make their own piano rolls of popular tunes. Congress's compulsory licensing scheme legalized the cover song allowing anyone to make their own recordings of someone else's song, just as long as a recording of that song had previously been released and the cover artist pays a required fee. But the important point is that because of Aliens' dominance of a now-defunct technology, we have a musical culture in America which musicians are free to tweak songs that they like, and they do so with great enthusiasm. Bob Dylan wrote, All Along the Watchtower, There must be some way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion 
I can't get no relief. And then Jimi Hendrix turned it into something quite different and arguably maybe even made a great song even greater. There must be some kind of way out of here. Said a joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. Over time, these royalty systems, they started to get more complex, in part because the technology started to become more complicated than a mere player piano. The laws got more complicated too. Coming up, we'll talk about the hip hop era and how this all relates to artificial intelligence and training data after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So before the break, we were discussing the emergence of technology that allowed music to be copied and recreated in homes across America and the copyright laws that ensued. Fast forward to the late 1980s when sampling was having a significant impact on hip hop. Early collage-driven samplers like Double D and Steinsky gave way to mainstream acts like the Beastie Boys and De La Soul borrowing from these same techniques. But the legal picture complicated matters significantly. De La Soul famously fought the 1960s folk rock band The Turtles in court in a 1991 lawsuit against rapper Biz Marquis, who borrowed heavily from the Gilbert O'Sullivan song Alone Again, naturally, on his 1991 track Alone Again. Here's the original... And here's Bismarck Key's version. 
I'm alone again, naturally. Alone again, naturally. This led the industry to begin clearing samples when possible before releases even. Additionally, the rise of mixtapes, free recordings produced by hip-hop artists that often sport uncleared samples, think uh, open-source LLM models, they proved a hugely effective way to allow emerging rappers to draw attention without having to go through the costly process of clearing samples. Chance the Rapper, for example, was already a mainstream pop star based on his mixtapes alone and only released a traditional commercial album seven years after his first mixtape. Others have gotten quite creative with their ways of working around the compensation issue. Greg Gillis, a DJ who goes by the stage name Girl Talk, who, by the way, went to Case Western Reserve University, which is where I teach, <laughs> he gained extreme prominence on the back of his brazen sampling of mainstream pop songs, which he distributed online as free albums through his label, Illegal Art. Looking for a star like mine, you can't find it. Looking for a star like mine, you've been blinded. In many ways, sampling reflects a conflict between two distinct artistic forms of music. One part might be built from original instruments, and another takes those parts and builds something new. Some have become quite good at it. Kanye West, before becoming a prominent leading artist in his own right, he won notice for his inventive use of sampling. But its roots in the creations of others mean that there's always risk of a lawsuit around the corner. West, for one, has been sued numerous times for samples on massive hits, with the samples sometimes being so obscure that for the source music's creators, it was their first actual brush with fame. For example, on Bound 2, he sampled the Ponderosa Twins Plus One, a group that released only one album and had otherwise been long forgotten. But their singer actually had to sue to get royalties from West's label. Some of these suits have gotten messy, especially when the original creators are based in other countries or have died. A family member of the Egyptian composer Balig Hamdi attempted to sue Jay-Z and his producer Timbaland over the 2000 song Big Pimpin', which used an unauthorized sample of Hamdi's Kosara Kosara. The artists thought the song was in public domain, but it actually wasn't. We all know the famous opening now. <laughs> family member ultimately lost in court, but not before the suit had dragged on for multiple years. Now, the musician who actually performed the sampled track, Hossam Ramzi, worked increasingly with Western artists such as Ricky Martin and Shakira after the song further raised its global profile. Now, nearly a quarter century after Big Pimpin' became one of Jay-Z's best-known songs, the legendary rapper finds himself in a very similar kind of situation, one where an emerging technology threatens to take away the thing he is best known for without his consent. In 2020, Jay-Z used YouTube copyright complaints in an attempt to remove deep fakes of his voice from the internet. More on this after a quick break. So we've explored a bit of the history around copyright law as it relates to music and what could be a precursor to a much bigger fight we're about to see in the tech space over LLM training data. Since Jay-Z's attempt to remove deepfakes, the technology's only gotten better. Alta, a production team, used a much better version of Jay's voice on a track called Savages, which listeners found strangely compelling given the source. As one YouTube commenter put it, 
I think this track might be the tipping point that wakes people up to how powerful AI has become in the last few weeks. Kanye's in a very similar spot, too, with at least one unusual example involving AI-generated Wes belting out a cover of the plain white tee's Hey There Delilah in a style not far off from his massive hit, Runaway. Hey there, Delilah, what's it like in New York City? I'm a thousand miles away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty. Yes, you do. And Drake and The Weeknd, they've had to chase a hugely popular AI-generated banger called Heart on My Sleeve that strangely keeps getting deleted from the internet. I came in with my ex like Selena, the flex, eh? Bumping Justin Bieber, the fever, and left, eh? She knows she need her, her need her, she blessed, eh? Give it my Honestly, people are worried that the technology might take what makes an artist unique and give it to a computer program. On the other hand, some might find it ironic that these artists who have been doing this for decades, sometimes even before it was legally accepted, are now dealing with the same problem that their predecessors had. Perhaps it's for that reason that it's not really a surprise that Universal Music is already pushing its weight around in an effort to rein in AI-generated tracks. But it doesn't necessarily have to quite be so bad. One artist who seems to have found an innovative path forward to the problem is Grimes, who is allowing people to make a music using her AI-generated voice print, then offering them half of the royalties along with distribution in an innovative model that will likely go a long way to validate AI-generated music if it's effective. Check out this track that's actually generated using that model. In a way, AI could become just as important of a tool for music as the Mellotron or Pro Tools. It's disruptive, it obstructs a clear path between creators and compensation, and it leads to situations where the only option is the courts. But on the other hand, we've been trying to solve for this exact problem since the player piano. Odds are, we'll figure it out eventually. For better or for worse, many of your favorite artists today, from the Beastie Boys to Jay-Z to Kanye West, they may not have generated the notoriety that they have if it wasn't for leveraging the work of others. And now we have large language models that not only leverage one piece of work, but millions at a time. It feels like companies are already preparing for this legislation and OpenAI is taking early steps to ensure that its training data is properly licensed. Interesting times again, but in many ways, it feels like we've always been here in one way or another. I'm just hoping it's not just the big guys who win in the end. That's right. And if you want to learn more about generative AI and how companies are leveraging it, head over to training.productcollective.com and look for our course on generative AI. Now, that about wraps us up for this week. For Mike Belsito, I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network. And if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. 
go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.